As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague from The Athletics, Stuart Mandel. We were taping this Wednesday morning. Uh, a bunch of stuff happened after our uh, we taped last Sunday morning, and one we expected, which was Colorado firing Carl Durrell, one we did not expect, and that was Wisconsin canning Paul Christ. Uh Let's get into that first. We have a bunch of stuff to talk about, but obviously you and I were both caught very off guard by this. This did not feel like Dan Mullen getting fired and he wasn't entering the year on the hot seat, but it w- went downhill in a hurry. This thing just blew up. Um, I, it was one of the more stunning ones. And like, I mean, I had literally written that morning. Hey, you know, the, I mean, it was bad losing to Bielema. And I was like, you know, that was the, the first time that I even acknowledged like that firing him might be a possibility, but I made a mistake. I made the mistake of thinking that buyouts still matter. He had this huge, it, it actually ended up getting, you know, it was reported as many different numbers. It ended up being 20 million was the, what they were originally supposed to pay him. And I just did not think of Wisconsin. I don't think you did either, right? That Wisconsin, which has had such stability for 30 something years would be the kind of program that would pay. And they ended up reduce, getting it reduced to 11, but $20 million to fire their coach who up until last year, you would never even heard a complaint about him um, in the middle of the season. It, it, to me, it is, you know, it's like when USC and UCLA went to the big 10, that was kind of a, to me, a turning point moment in realignment and that it showed that geography doesn't matter anymore. And this one was, you know, usually think of, of what they did as an SEC culture uh, but now you've got nebraska was willing to spend an extra seven and a half million uh, to fire scott frost a couple weeks before the buyout would have gone down here you have wisconsin not waiting until the end of the season and it's it's been fascinating t- to see the reactions because this is one where everybody that's not a wisconsin fan is like i can't believe that like what are they doing and i don't but i don't know about everybody that's a wisconsin fan but certainly a lot of wisconsin fans are, are relieved, uh, 
feel that the program was in a big decline. And of course, let's not ignore the fact that everybody there loves Jim Leonard and they're hoping that he will get the job full time. Well, that's why I think is the different thing. When you mentioned Scott Frost, they plunked down a ton of money to get rid of him ASAP. This is going horribly wrong. It's getting worse. Let's get rid of him now. Jim Leonard, we can't afford to lose him. Jim Leonard, who, by the way, has you know bypassed a lot more money to go to bigger branded programs to stay at his alma mater. This is the first time I can think of where an interim head coach is actually the favorite to get the job permanently. He has seven games left. None are against uh, ranked teams. I think if he goes five and two, I, I suspect he will get the job. If he goes six and one, I'm very confident he would get the job. Um, four and three, I don't know, you know, at that point. And the thing with this job is there are like to me, this is the best job that is open right now because Nebraska, while it has even more history and tradition, is in much worse shape. It needs a massive overhaul coming off of Scott Frost, where I don't think you need a massive overhaul from this program. You need you need tweaks and you need adjustments, and I think you need some staff shakeup, but it's not a massive overhaul, like a cultural completely change. Um, these other jobs, you know, Arizona State, Georgia Tech, certainly Colorado, um, they're going to require a lot more work. And they're also have a lot of instability around them conference wise, certainly Colorado and Arizona state do. So when you look at it, Lance Leipold, Wisconsin guy, won 63 national titles there. We know he is. Did you just say he won 63 national titles? He did. Did you not know that? 6D3. Oh, 6D3. Yes, I did know that. Yeah. Um, So, and he's from there, right? And we know he is high on Nebraska's wish list where he was an assistant there. Uh, my, my guess is he might be more interested to go back home than to Nebraska if all things are equal. If not him, there's plenty of other really good candidates here who have ties to that place. You certainly have, a, a, you know, Sean Lewis is a really good a uh, group of five coach at Kent State who is a former Wisconsin tight end. He's also a really creative offensive guy, and that has been an issue. They feel like they've, they're they really stale on offense. Dave Doran was a defensive coordinator there. He's done nice at, at NC State. I would think there'd be a little more attraction to maybe going home and jumping in on that job. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting dynamic now where I feel like there are it's more than just, hey, if Jim Leonard doesn't work out, they have some really good options. Yeah, I think that the Lance Leipold factor should not be overlooked because if this was really just about Jim Leonard, you could wait till the end of the season to make that change, right? You're not going to, he's, you know, he, he fire Paul Chris to make him the head coach on November or whatever. Uh, but it just so happens that the hottest coach of the first half of the season like you said, is a guy who has strong ties to Wisconsin and who is going to be sought after. And, uh, you know, do you make this move now to let him know that this is going to be a possibility? Uh, You know, if you do get uh, pursued by Nebraska or whoever else, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's 100% certainty that he would leave Kansas, but certainly he's probably going to have opportunities after everybody's seen. It's funny because I feel like he was always so overlooked over the years. 
at, at Buffalo in particular? He was. I mean, he interviewed for the Vanderbilt job. Vanderbilt liked him, and they went with Clark Lee, who was a hot assistant from Notre Dame and played at Vandy and is from there. But I think in retrospect, and look, Clark Lee may get it going at Vandy. But I think at this point, you're like, man, Vandy could have had him. Credit mm-hmm. to Vandy for interviewing because a bunch of other schools – you know, didn't even get that far with Lance Leipold. They either thought, oh, he's a he's a D3 guy or he wouldn't fit here or whatever. And, you know, he obviously has done an amazing job at Kansas. Well, now everybody wants him. So uh, I get that. So the, you know, Paul Christ in 2019 t- took Wisconsin to the Rose Bowl. 2020 is the COVID year. They did, they They struggled through that year. But it's hard to read too much into that. Last year, they started slow. Then they won a bunch of games. They ended up nine and four. They missed the division title. Nine and four. See, another thing, old school thinking by me. I thought nine and four was acceptable by Wisconsin standards. Apparently not. And then, you know, he starts this year two and three. And you lose at home to Washington State. You get absolutely demolished at Ohio State. And then I'm telling you, the ultimate insult was losing to, to Bielema at home. Um so, but it's not just that. I mean, I think people know, you know, it's not a secret that their recruiting had started to slip. Um, I think Graham Mertz, I hate to say it, ended up being kind of his his downfall because he was the the hyped recruit, the savior, and it just, he, he's never gotten better. Um, you know, meanwhile, Jack Cohn transferred out to Notre Dame and did pretty well there and... Yeah, he didn't. He could have maybe brought in a transfer this year to compete with Graham Mertz. He didn't. Um, they were briefly mentioned in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. I don't know how how serious that got. So um, it was all a way of saying that I feel like in the new world of college football, Wisconsin is no longer content with that ceiling of getting to the Big Ten title game but losing uh, nine and four. They want to be. I don't want to say they want to be Ohio state, but they want to be legit playoff contenders. And that's great. But is it realistic? Like, I don't know if it's Jim Leonard, whoever, are they going to suddenly start pulling, you know, top 10 recruiting classes in that state? I don't think so. Well, on that recruiting piece, two years ago, they had a class that ranked, I think 16th in the country. Yeah. There were Wisconsin. I mean, uh, you that know, was, like, I think, their best class. He went very quickly from their best class to 42nd or whatever it was last year. Yeah, but I don't, I'm, I guess I'm asking, I should have looked this up because I didn't think we were going to talk about, you know, I wasn't prepared to talk about this part of it. But like in 2015, 2016, were they also having 17th and 18th rated classes? And no, I don't think so. They've always been the, um, the, you know, diamond in the rough program. So they briefly started to be able to recruit because of you know remember 2017 uh i think they went into the big 10 title game undefeated that year and then they beat miami in the orange bowl like this program was doing big things and i think was able to elevate itself recruiting wise and that's why it's frankly uh, still a bit mystifying how could it have gone that wrong that quickly and and is it did they panic i mean i don't know how this season would have turned out it wasn't going well but was it necessarily heading to like a four and eight kind of season? I don't know. Um, I mean, in my written mailbag this, this week uh, on Wednesday brought up when Nebraska fired Frank Solich because they had started to slip a little bit. Um, 
could it turn out that this was this that they panicked too soon um and and uh lost what has made that i mean they there's hardly any program in the country that has been more consistent over as long a period of time as Wisconsin. They've never had one, uh, you know, extended down period since Barry Alvarez became the coach in 1989. There's a little bit of a be careful what you wish for scenario here. I mean, to be clear, this is the got the results on the field. You can say like the recruiting rankings do not bear out that, that they'd slipped if anything. Cause if you look at, where they were, you know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, they were with classes in the forties and the thirties. And if you looked at, like I said, they had one class just a couple of years ago that I think was 16th and another one that was in the twenties, you know? So like on the star system, it's not, you know, like if anything, it was better. What I think really changed was the expectations. Graham Mertz was a huge recruit for them. They beat a lot of big schools for him it hasn't worked out the way they thought it would work out. You know, the other thing that's like, I feel like gets glossed over a lot. And maybe this is an excuse for a lot of programs, but I think the COVID year affected a lot of people, a lot of programs differently, right? Um, Wisconsin's definitely a developmental program. I was a developmental program. And, you know, when you can't operate the same way um, as normal, as business as usual, you know, some some programs have have had harder time navigating it than others. And I, I definitely think that this is there's probably something to be said for that here, too. Yeah, I thought at the time that people would treat 2020 as a mulligan year. They absolutely did not. Um, it, it went against Paul Christ. It went against Jimmy Lake, for sure. Um, it, it hasn't, you know, everybody took that season and just treated it as a normal part of an evaluation of a coach. And like you said, I don't even think people would even begin to consider the long-term ramifications of, I mean, they, they, if I recall, they, they got hit pretty hard that year. They, um, they played that opener against Illinois and then they immediately had to shut down for two weeks. So um, anyway, I think there is more going on behind the scenes that will come out soon um, about maybe some uh, what was going on, behind the scenes at the Wisconsin program more so than just the record. But I still, I still remain shocked that it happened the way it happened. And, and because it's a learning lesson, right? Like I won't, I will not write anymore that, Oh, there's no way they'd fire him because of X dollars or because they're not the kind of school that would do that. This is what it is now. It's cutthroat. Um, money's no object. I mean, Wisconsin's about to get an, you know, um, 80 90 million a year big 10 tv contract uh so you can just pay the money and also the great mystery is why he agreed to the reduced buyout that's a big that's a big cut from 20 to 11 although he's getting the 11 up front rather than spread out over four years looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, the other job that came open, again, as we expected it to come open, Colorado, Carl Durrell really struggled there. They were getting hammered by everybody, 0-5, all their losses by 20-plus. Um, the roster is dreadful. They also fired the defensive coordinator, Chris Wilson. That was not going well either um, within the course of that. Now Colorado comes open again, right? Now they got a curveball. The, probably the best hire they'd made as a coach in a long time was – uh, didn't stay very long. And that was Mel Tucker. He left after one year, got people excited and then went to Michigan state. If you're Colorado now, you have some conference instability. You have a lot of questions kind of hanging over this job. Arizona state is also open in your same conference. Arizona state has a better recruiting base, but also has an NCA investigation hanging over it. You don't know who the Arizona state AD may be a year from now. Um, we think Rick George still has some stability there. What if you're if you're Colorado, are you just like, all right, we've had one top 25 season in the last 20 years. One. You wrote a long story about Colorado and how this program lost its way back mm-hmm. in the summer. If you were Rick George, who would you hire to fix Colorado football? I think they're in a bad, bad spot. I mean, it's you talk about like no kidding. I mean, this is no kidding. No, I mean, in terms of what what if you're a potential coaching candidate and you see that job open, you're like, oh, okay, let's let me look into it. What do they have going for them? Well, they're in a state that doesn't have enough talent to fill a roster. They used to have a pretty good um, pipeline into Texas, but then they left and went joined the Pac-12 instead. Um, Yes, LA, you know, there's some LA kids that that might come there, but clearly they're going to, there's a lot of schools that we go to first. Um, They don't have a, a, you know, as far as I know, Colorado does not have a billionaire booster who's going to, you know, throw money around to fix the problem. So I think, I think your best bet is going to be somebody who's above, right? Uh, And obviously the first name you think of when you think of, Former Colorado players who are stars in coaching now is Eric Bieniemy, And I think a lot of people are surprised that he didn't get the job or, or that he had a chance at the job last time and turned it down. So, yeah, we you- reported the other day he, they, he turned down four million dollars the last time, wanted to stay in the NFL. We don't know if he's going to still want to stay in the NFL this time around. I mean, he got passed over by a lot of NFL opportunities the last time. And then there's Ryan Walters, the former Colorado safety, who is Illinois DC and Illinois is their defense right now. And I know it's early in the season is the number one defense in the country. They are shutting people down, run and pass. Um, Is he enough of a proven commodity to go get him? Because you would, you know, now you're talking about, you're not talking about NFL OC. You're talking about uh, Illinois DC who, I would think would be 
I don't want to do, probably right jump at the chance to be a head coach in the Pac-12. Let me give you some options. You tell me who is most appealing to you. And I'm trying to be realistic here. So, you know, bear with the names. Uh, you mentioned Eric Bieniemy. Let's take him out of this for a second. Because I think if Eric Bieniemy wants the job, I think he would. I, I do think he would be the favorite. I just don't know if that's going to work out. So I'm going to give you some other names. Um, you mentioned Ryan Walters. I'm going to throw out Jeff Grimes, the Baylor OC, who almost got the Utah State head coaching job. He did a really good job at BYU as the OC. He's done very well at Baylor, knows this area. Also, big recruiter with Texas roots, so in the DFW area. I don't think that's ins is insignificant. Ricky Ronnie grew up an hour away from Boulder. He's He has done a very nice job quietly at ODU. You want to talk about the pandemic? They got shelved that whole year. He took over yep. a one-win team and got him to a bowl game. Had a nice win to start the year against Virginia Tech. So Ricky Ronnie's another, I think, a, a legit candidate. Jeff Choate, co-defensive coordinator at Texas, did a really good job at Montana State as the head coach. I think he will get some looks. And then the one that I think is very interesting here, Troy Calhoun, Air Force head coach. Uh, I think it helps Troy Calhoun's case that Lance Leipold is winning a lot because if I'm not saying they do the same thing, they're the same personality, but I think guys who know how to build a program and know how to win, I think it just becomes a little more in vogue when you're like, you know what? There's nothing that fancy about, there's nothing seemingly sexy about Lance Leipold's name, but he's getting good results. And Troy Calhoun wins a lot of games and he obviously knows that area from all his time at air force and also some time as on the staff with the Broncos of those guys. If you were the head coach again, Troy Calhoun, Ricky Ronnie, Ryan Walters, uh, Jeff Choate, Jeff Grimes. So who does Stu Mandel as the AD hire at Colorado? Well, of all the people you're saying, Troy Calhoun is by far the most experienced. Um, the you know he has been their coach since 2007. He is a very very experienced coach. Whereas some of the guys you're talking about, like Ricky Ronnie, are really just getting started. The thing that puzzles me about Troy Calhoun is why he has been there since 2007. You know how sometimes a house, you know, house goes on the market and then it doesn't sell right away. And now it's been on the market for 30 days, 60 days. And everybody's like, well, there must be something terribly wrong with it. Um, a little what's wrong with Cal Troy Calhoun. The but Troy Calhoun thing was family situation, wanting the kids to finish, finish school where they are. I mean, there's a handful of coaches, not a lot. I think Jeff trailer from UTSA is another guy who could be pretty upwardly mobile given what he's done there, but wants to be where he is for family reasons. And has kind of laid down some roots from my understanding. That's kind of where Troy Calhoun was when his name was a little hotter before. Okay. I mean, Troy Calhoun went to 10 and three uh, last season, um, 11 and two, two years before that. Like, this is the kind of stuff that would be, um, like, you would think people would be be jumping all over themselves to hire him. I do remember a long time ago him being, um, turning down Tennessee. Um, he's turned down CU, you said, at least once before. So, you tell me, would, would this be different if CU offers as he go? I think he would. I, I don't know this for a fact. I mean, I know him pretty well. I haven't asked him this anything this week. I think if Colorado made an offer at him, I think it would he would have a hard time saying saying no if he felt like all right they're really committed 
to doing what it takes to go forward. Because as you said, and as we've talked about, it's not a great time to be the Colorado head football coach, given a lot of uncertainty around that, around the program. I don't know if they are really committed, Bruce. I mean, they've had almost no presence in NIL. Um, They, you know, they do have a very loyal fan base. I'll say that for all the, for all the misery. I mean, they, they still put people in the stadium, uh, but I don't know that they're swimming with money by any means. They're in a comp, like you said, I mean, a lot of uncertainty about, I mean, is Colorado, um, you know, what happens to the PAC 12? Um, that's going to drastically impact Colorado. So it's, it's a, it could be a hard, it could be a hard sell is what I'm trying to say for Troy Calhoun or for anybody else other than Eric B And like I said, I would think, you know, Walters being a DC would, would jump at the chance to be a head coach. So if you get, let's take Troy Calhoun out. So now you got Jeff Grimes, Jeff Choate, Ricky Ronnie, Ryan Walters. Do you just lean most on the CU guy who right now, and I think, and look, it's early. They played three power five teams. It's super impressive what Illinois has done there with Bielamo, with Ryan Walters. Do you lean with him because he's the guy who's the who's the CU guy through and through, as opposed to maybe Ronnie, who's got a, some head coaching experience and is still local, um, or Grimes, who has more connection to the region, or Chode, who probably has the most head coaching experience? Yeah, I have I have no strong lean on lean on any of them. I mean, this you're throwing is, this is this is the challenge. Yeah, this is the challenge of coaching searches. Now you're talking about guys who, uh, let's say, all three of those guys you just mentioned each got head coaching jobs at, at comparable schools next year. One of them is going to do extremely well. One of them is going to be very average and one of them is going to be terrible. And you have no idea which one's which. Yeah, I, I can't, you know, I know all these guys to some degree, like Jeff Grimes is the one guy I've seen, you know, who it's like when you're in the room with him in those production meetings, like, oh yeah, that guy's going to be head coach. You could totally see it. He just has a huge presence to him. Now he's a huge guy that actually, helps you know kind of drive that a little bit but there's plenty of big former linemen who just don't seem like they're head coaches and you can't see it mm-hmm. um you know again i think I, there's I, something to that I've, I've always said for many long time like sometimes you just meet a coach and like they have it right they have that it factor that you're like yeah this guy will be a good head coach give me, give other me guys you meet okay. that that are underwhelming Give me, give me three guys who you would say have that it where you're like, oh, yeah, I could see him running a program. He has the presence. So when you meet them or you're around them, you're like, okay, I, I can see it. You're talking about assistant coaches? No, I'm talking about head coaches where you see it. I feel like I have more examples of you don't. I mean, I will say when I Do met Urban, Urban Meyer for the first time at U- when he was at Utah, I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, he, I see, you know, this guy has the command and the confidence to, to win over a room, right. And be a successful head coach. Um, I'm trying to think of like other obvious ones over the years. Um, James Franklin, James Franklin had that, you know, that aura, I guess around him uh, when he was at Vanderbilt. Um, Honestly, Chip Kelly. Um, And I know he, he's, you know, had his ups and downs, but he struck me as one, as somebody like that. And then, I mean, look, I hate to keep picking on Carl Durrell. Like, I feel like I've, I've said enough, but he is an example of somebody who seems like a perfectly nice guy, and maybe he's a good X's and O's guy, 
and maybe he gets along with his players, but doesn't strike you as an inspiring head coach. Does that make sense? Like he's more of a quiet, um, you know, feels like he should just kind of be more of a behind the scenes guy than, than leading a program. I hate to say that, but that's, that's the vibe I get. Yeah, no, I could, I could kind of see it. You know, the guy who like, who I was kind of just, and I know him, but it kind of sometimes in those, and I think I've used this example before on our podcast, but like when they come out of that coaches meeting at the AFCA where all of them or most of them are in that room, who kind of has the glow about them? Like mm-hmm. Jamie, Jamie Chadwell definitely had that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's almost like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to compare him to like Jay Wright, the, the, the Villanova basketball old, the former Villanova basketball coach. But sometimes you see the, the college basketball coaches. There are certain guys who you're like, all right, I can see why he, he kills it in the home just because he kind of, Oh yeah. I don't, again, I don't want to compare and, you know, like I'm not seeing the Bruce Pearl connection necessarily to, to Jamie Chadwell, but just there's some, there is a, there is something about that where you can just kind of feel their presence a little bit. Um, you know, whereas Bruce Pearl definitely seems like a salesman, you know, like he is the, he is the guy who's, <clears throat> you know, who's hustling the whole time. Like the guy who's not letting you out of the car dealership without. Yeah, for sure. But that's a big part of the job. That's frankly why, the just kind of conventional path is right. You move up the ranks, you become a coordinator. And then I mean, some of the guys we're talking about here right, are coordinators. And okay, well, they, they're at a coordinator level and their, their offense or their defense is performing well. Therefore he's the guy I want. But the thing is like to be a good, the stuff, you, the skill you need to be a good coordinator is not necessarily the skill to be a head coach. Um, but you know, it can, I, but, give, no, I think it's the, the not one size fits all. Like, the guy who doesn't seem to have the big, big, like maybe exuding conflict, like what you talked about, Urban Meyer, like you and I both had great, like Dave Aranda was one of the best podcast guests we've had. Yes. And Dave Aranda is one of the best interviews I've ever had in like eight different kinds of settings right after the game at 545 in the morning at a, you know, sneaking into his coach's office to have a conversation, you know, all those things. It's almost to the point where whenever any, like I think Andy or somebody else had him on their podcast and Dave was great on that. Or maybe the solid verbal guys was like, you know what? Don't flatter yourself. Like my eight-year-old daughter could get, have a great interview with Dave Aranda. You know, like, Dave Aranda is, does not fit the type. I mean, there's just no other way around it. Like he does seem more of a like mad scientist watching film type that like, can you imagine Dave Aranda shaking hands at a booster function? Um, but so, so credit to him, um, you know, he, he certainly defied that last year, but yeah, the salesmanship, the, you know, charisma, um, the ability to be, to be a CEO who hires, what did I, I asked Lincoln Riley in the spring, how many people he had to hire, uh, upon taking the job. I don't remember the exact number. I want to say it was like 50, right. Hiring people, take it from me. Hiring people is hard. And that's a big part of it, right? It's just a completely different skill than putting in a good game plan for, for your game this week. I also think what a, a big factor to that is authenticity, right? Like Mike Leach is very different from all these other guys, but he is what he is. He wasn't faking it. Dave Aranda, when he got this job, he is what he is. And there's, he's not trying to be somebody else. You know, I think that where guys get into trouble 
you know, like Tom Herman, where it went sideways with him in Texas was people felt like we don't know who we're dealing with here, you know, kind of thing. And when, when it doesn't line up with who is this guy or whatever, or maybe there's no self-awareness and it gets away from them, you know, that's the thing. And I, I, so I think that's the challenge getting back to Colorado, getting back to all these searches is like, you can look for different things, but is the guy going to be authentic? Do they know who they are? What are they going to value and all those things? And I, like, as you said, somebody can be a great hire at one place and a terrible hire at another. We have kind of become the coaching carousel podcast. I got to say, as you're going to see with some of these mailbag questions we have coming up, but there are football games this weekend. And one in particular that is fascinating to me is red river because you've got Oklahoma coming in on a two game losing streak. Um, a lot of questions right right now, like why, how is their defense this bad? And they're playing a Texas team that almost beat Alabama, lost to Texas Tech, kind of all over the map. We think maybe Quinn Ewers back this week. Yes, I'm hearing Quinn Ewers. Look, we reported that it was going to be two to three weeks that he was going to be out, that he they were hoping he'd be ready for Oklahoma. From everything I've heard early in the week, they're – optimistic that he will be able to play this week and that should help them. And look, as you said, the Sooners defense, especially the run defense has been horrific the last two weeks. I want to spin it a little forward on this because you were, you were not a believer in either of these teams coming in. Um, Do you think, who do you think the loss would hurt more? Oklahoma. As I wrote after the Texas at the Alabama game, this is a free year for Sark. Um, Arch Manning's coming. Um, you know, they're, they're clearly better than they have been. Um, maybe if it's different, if Oklahoma blows them off the field, but I don't, I don't, you know, Texas fans, they don't want to lose to Oklahoma. They never want to lose to Oklahoma, but I don't think it, it would be a crisis. Oklahoma losing three. When's the last time Oklahoma lost three straight games? That's got to be pre Bob Stoops, I would think. Um, so three straight losses, especially if their defense plays poorly again, like that's a hard hole for Brent Venables to dig out of from a perception standpoint. And just in terms of having confidence that he's the, he's not getting fired, but like just confidence that he's your guy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is exactly it, but if you go back to John Blake's last year at, at OU, he lost five in a row, including getting blown out by Texas as that third loss. And then he proceeded to lose two more by double digits. I mean, um, we talked about Wisconsin being such a consistent program. Oklahoma, since the start of this century, is as consistent as they come. So, I yeah, I, I think it's going to be full-on crisis mode if they lose this game. I agree. I think, you know, I agree with everything you said. The other part of it is, and not so much because, of you, you know, where you predicted them in the beginning of the year, but... I just felt like coming where they were coming from last year because they've been so shaky, um, expecting them, you know, expecting them to go more than like seven and five. Like if they come out of this stretch and go seven and five, you can still say that's significant improvement in year two, right? Like Oklahoma has gotten embarrassed. And last week got embarrassed by a team that I don't think anybody was given much credit for TCU. So uh, I'm very curious to see how this plays out just because of like two weeks ago, 
Um, we had OU at Nebraska and it was Nebraska coming off the firing of Scott Frost, but like urban Myers on our show, watching them talking about how he sees, he looks at them and thought they could be a playoff team. You know, now the way they're playing, I mean, I still think there'll be a bowl team, but like, you know, Dylan Gabriel got really banged up in that game. He was a big factor for their offense. I don't, you know, uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see, as you said, it's just like, I don't want to say it's like watching a little bit of a train wreck, but it feels like it's like watching a little bit of that with Oklahoma now to see how they, how they can restart the engine. I mean, I, I, I think Brent Venables is, is a good hire for them. And I just think you're seeing some growing pains in this, but I think this was a, this was definitely a jolt to a lot of OU fans coming off of where they probably felt they were a couple of weeks ago. Based on my unofficial research, which is basically just typing in the three seasons. I remember where Oklahoma lost more than a couple games your your john blake year would be the last time they lost three in a row okay uh and i'm sure somebody will point out if we had that wrong but i don't think i do because i mean they there's very few seasons where they lose even lose three games in a season much less three in a row customers are rushing to your store do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real pos you need shopify for retail shopify pos is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory shopify has everything you need to sell in person with shopify you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. Let me start with you, Stu. Bruce, you already answered the first question earlier in the podcast. Now, Tom McHale from Council Bluffs, you had asked us which job is better, Nebraska or Wisconsin. I think only Max Olson might say Nebraska at this point. So I'm I'm not so sure about that. Now, I did put this exact question on Twitter, and two-thirds of the people said Wisconsin. Am I crazy that Nebraska still has more uh yeah, I don't sure. know, maybe i'm still caught up in the 90s but they're obviously well i'll put it right nebraska is considered more of a blue blood certainly than wisconsin they have the most loyal fan base i've ever seen they have gobs and gobs of money 
Um, and it's not like either of these states is, is in one position or the other in terms of being like a better spot for recruiting. So I lean slightly toward Nebraska. I realize I'm in the minority. I lean towards Wisconsin in large part because I just think it's a way less of an overhaul given what you're taking over for than where Nebraska's at. Oh, well, I was answering it more from a generic, like not where they are right now standpoint. Um, Nebraska is definitely the bigger rebuilding job, but I don't know with the transfer portal, like you can, you, if, if, if you can, if you have the right coach, you can, you can flip the roster pretty quickly. That's not the deterrent to me anymore. It's who has, to me, it's who has a higher ceiling. And I think that Wisconsin, based on what they've done over the last 20 years or so, it's very easy to say, well, they have, they clearly have the higher ceiling. Um, but I've been saying it for a long time. I don't know why Nebraska can't be, they can't, they're not going to go back to the nineties, but I've, the Wisconsin was always the measuring stick I used. Like what, there's no reason, there's no disadvantage, inherent disadvantage that Nebraska has where they couldn't be what Wisconsin has been recently. Well, that's what Scott Frost preached when he got there. Now, one thing that is, is significant is Nebraska already has shown that they're committed to, to ramping up recruiting through nil oshawn mathis was a was essentially a bidding war and you know my sources are saying they're you know he was getting close to half a million dollars to go there and that is that's not an insignificant chunk of change and if nebraska is is committed in that way that will help recruiting significantly they have an absolutely rabid fan base that is desperate to become relevant again so I don't, whatever money is going to take, they, they will spend it. Um, all right. Brian, this is why I say we're the coaching carousel podcast. Now, Brian from Santa, Santa Fe. Hey, Stu and Bruce, what are your thoughts on Jeff Brom and a potential job opening at Louisville? On the one hand, Louisville is home for him. On the other hand, with the new big 10 TV deal, Purdue can easily afford to pay him a lot more than Louisville. What do you think? Is a very good question as as Brian lays out, right? It is home. I think Brom had been asked something about it, you know, on the eve of the season and gave kind of a like felt like there was some wiggle room there, right? Um, I think he's really good. He's a brilliant offensive coach. He's a really good play caller, has very creative. Um, I could see why guys would want to play for him. You know, Purdue stepped up because there was other schools who tried to hire him a few years ago, and they really stepped up in a way that I think surprised some people. But let's so, not forget, Louisville offered him the job. Everybody assumed he would go to Louisville, and he turned it down. So the question would be, what's different three or four years later? One thing I think is different is, remember, you know, this will be our second college basketball reference of this show. Roy Williams turned down North Carolina the first time. The second time they came after him, he when they were in a really bad place, he he went. He felt like an obligation to, you know, take care of the family, if you will. Would that be a part a factor necessarily for Brom? Like, you know, seeing the the seeing what the program has become. And although I will say that when they offered him last time, when Petrino got fired, they were they were in an even worse spot. So. Um, I, I'm, in, I'm inclined to, you know, look, I don't know what, what's in Jeff Brom's mind or his heart, but I think it's definitely, you definitely have to take into account that, you know, what we've, what we've been talking about for months, there's two super conferences. Now, are you going to leave one of those two super conferences, which is going to be bringing in 
two to three times more per school uh, conference revenue wise than the ACC, which is stuck in that really bad TV deal. Um, it's not just about like what they can pay him salary wise. It's how many analysts can you hire and what kind of recruiting department can you put together and uh, what kind of benefits are they able to afford for the players, all that stuff. You're always, you're, you're going to be better off even at Purdue because Purdue makes the same amount of money from the big 10 as Ohio state. One thing that is noteworthy is Louisville has really jumped up in the NIL space on the recruiting front and they have put together a really good class in the pipeline for Scott Satterfield, you know, amid a lot of turbulence that is going on right, right now there. So um, it will be an interesting thing how this plays out. And I think, you know, look, if Louisville doesn't win this weekend against UVA after the BC loss, um, the pressure is only going to ratchet up that much more, especially with, like you said, a really obvious candidate with, with real ties out there. Who There's been an interesting subplot, by the way, of the Scott Satterfield situation is that at the same time, he's struggling pretty badly on the field. They've got the number 19 class in the country right now, headlined by the five-star running back Ruben Owens from Texas. Um, they've got um, Steve Clarkson's son coming in as quarterback, or and that is, I would say, Steve Clarkson's son. Steve Clarkson's son and that connection has been a big factor in really rallying this recruiting class together. So, so on the one hand, if you fire Satterfield, you risk the whole thing coming apart. I think Ruben Owens has did he visit AM? Did he talk about visiting AM? Um, that definitely came up at some point. On the other hand, I'm of the belief that you don't make these decisions based on one recruiting class. If it ends up blowing up, if you're if you feel really strongly that he's not the right coach, then you make that move anyway. If you lose the recruiting class, so be it. You're making a decision based on the next five, ten to ten years of your program, not this one recruiting class. All right, Stu, this question from John in Virginia. Hey, Bruce and Stu, I had a question about the Nebraska coaching search. Considering this is a school that essentially fired a perennial nine-win coach in Bo Pelini because of a bad personality, it would seem they need a coach who's a proven builder who is relentlessly positive. Would P.J. Fleck fit the bill there? Would he be a good fit? And is he on the radar? I think he, I think he would be a good hire. I think he'd be good for the job. That last part is the part I don't I quite know. Would he be a good fit? Because Bo Pelini, you know, even though he did pretty well, relatively speaking, never felt like the right fit from a cultural standpoint. I mean, PJ Fleck, as we all know, is very unique. Um, a certain kind of personality. I don't necessarily associate it with Nebraska, but maybe it's exactly what Nebraska needs. Maybe they do need somebody different. Yeah, I think sometimes, like, look, I think a lot of people don't know what to make of P.J. Fleck, and it may rub some people the wrong way, but I don't think it's an act. Like, I think he is authentic in who he is, um, and you know what he does do well? He His teams really run the football really well. They do. I mean, so... I don't think he, I mean, I don't think he's high on, on the list as at least as from what I understand it after the first couple of weeks in this process, I'm not even sure he would look at it as a better job. You know, like his family is uh, on roots at Minnesota. Um, is it that, why is it that much more of a better job? More, 
I mean, if you're Minnesota leaving was Minnesota, a, Minnesota this, was last a national yeah. power in the, like 1963. Um, Nebraska's got a much bigger and more rabid fan base. Uh, when was the last time Nebraska was a national power? It was over 20. It was 20 years ago. I mean, Minnesota had a great season in 2019, but for the most part, for the last 20 years, they, their, their ceiling has been eight or nine wins. You know, there was a time not that long ago, both Blaney was doing that every year. I just thought of one other thing about PJ Fleck. You said, you know, when you said, you know, uh, what's he really good at before you said running the ball, you know, what's the first thing that popped in my head? Branding? Pissing off Iowa. <laughs> yeah, he he does a good job of, of, of really getting under the craw of some of his rival coaches in that division. And who's Nebraska's rival now? Iowa. So you'd hire him for that reason? I wouldn't hire him just for that reason, but it's starting to intrigue me. I, I just don't think I, I I don't think it's that much. Is it a better job? Yeah, it's probably a better job. I don't think it's that much of a better job. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, they're in the same division. They are also getting that same paycheck from the Big Ten. Um, I would imagine. I, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine Nebraska has more booster support. So I don't know. I'm not saying it would be a no brainer. I do think both of us, though, are are basing our maybe lower perception of Nebraska based on the Scott Frost era, which went terribly. It's we're not like they were like Riley era, which didn't go great. Right. The Bill Callahan era, which didn't go great. I don't think this program is doomed to Nebraska is going to be a winner again. They are not doomed to four and eight seasons. They are not uh, for lack. I'll just throw one. They're not Duke. They're not um, Vanderbilt. They're Nebraska. They'll be with the right coach. They'll be fine. Uh, this one's for you, Bruce, from a LSU fan, Jeb Whitley. Huge LSU fan. I understand this team has a long way to go to get back to national championship levels. Having said that, our special teams have been abysmal this year. What is your take on Brian Pullian? Is it a red flag that he was the only position coach that followed BK to LSU? Ooh, um, Brian Pullian is, Brian Pullian is, is a really smart guy, and he's kind of been a second lieutenant to Brian Kelly in a lot of ways. Um, no doubt the, the night of the special teams debacle against Florida state, you had a couple things that I don't know if the special teams coordinator is going to be able to coach in terms of like, you put out one of your best playmakers and he muffs two punts right now. Some of the discipline stuff, protection issues. I think those are things that are legit criticisms. Um, it's interesting because. You know, previously the last few years, LSU had some of the best special teams in the country. Like Greg McMahon throughout football is considered one of the best special teams coordinators there is. Um, and they were really good at that. And they had two great kickers back to back that, you know, he had brought in. One was from Assumption and the other one was a bigger recruit. Um, you know, I don't. I, as far as the first part about like, was it a red flag that he was the only one that came with Brian Kelly as a position coach? I mean, look, you had this, you had the, the guy who took over was continuity from that same staff and Notre Dame stepped up to keep Tommy Reese and keep a few of those other guys. Um, I don't know. You know, it's weird. I don't really know how to answer that beyond like, I feel like it's two pronged things. Like I think Brian and Brian Polian's role, a lot of it is as a sounding board to Brian Kelly. Right. And he's somebody he's leaned on. So I think it's beyond just the special teams piece. 
Like he's had good special teams. You know, he also did, by the way, bring the punter with him um, from who's, who's been a good punter for them. But yeah, it's, I can see why LSU fans are very frustrated, especially after that first game. I mean, the reason why you're not undefeated is because special teams in large part had an awful night. Yeah. I don't know that you can really, the thing with special teams is I would definitely not base it on such a small sample size. Um, you know, Scott Frost, who we keep bringing up, right? His special teams was awful year after year after year. You don't usually see that from a team, right? Like they might have a rough year for whatever reason, some of the reasons you just said, and then they're fine the next year. Like, I don't, I, I would not go thinking, oh, this is because they hired the wrong special teams coach. Uh, Brian Polian's done it, been there um, many places. So, I would hold off on that. That being said, yes, it's it's been pretty disastrous and they need to get that fixed. All right, Bruce, uh, last wanna, week's yeah. uh, on that. Jay Bramlett, I think, is second in the pack in the SEC and punting. He was the guy that Poland did bring with him. So it hasn't all been bad. Fair enough. Um, last week, we talked about being star. Like, who have we been starstruck by? A, a sports figure, a celebrity that you're like starstruck by. Mine was uh, Pete Rose. I can't. What, did you say yours? I can't remember. Um, a big one for me was Charles Barkley, and, a, and that's a, right. You said Charles Barkley. So we asked people to to bring theirs in, and they did. Some of them wrote long stories that I tried to condense a little bit, but they are good stories. So let me start with Jim in Seattle. Dear Stu and Bruce, back in 2011, I was in the Air Force and moving from Okinawa to New Mexico. I flew home to New Jersey to have some family time before heading to my next duty station. I decided to take a detour and visit some friends in Austin. Flying from Newark to Austin, I had a layover in Raleigh-Durham. As I stand at the gate, a bear of a man with white hair and a sweater comes up next to me. I look him up and down and think to myself, no way. He boards the plane before me and the gate attendant says, welcome coach, it is so good to have you. It was Bobby Knight. Now I'm 6'5", and I was astonished how big he was. Anyway, when we landed in Austin, we gathered around the baggage claim. I walked up to Coach Knight and said, Hi, Coach. My name is Jim, and I just want to say I'm a big fan and just want to shake your hand. He shook my hand, looked down on my Penn State shirt, and said, Nittany Lion, huh? Yes, sir. Well, all right. And he walked away. Okay. Um, towards that end, I was once going into Bristol and was getting out of Bradley Airport waiting at the national um, pickup and who comes out with his like NFL legends bomber jacket, but Mike Ditka himself. And see that one would kind of blow me away. Well, so it's, there's another man with me. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Who's just like, you know, random, I'm guessing businessman who's like there we're waiting at it. And Ditka for some reason didn't walk to the, to the designated spot where the national, um national like mini shuttle was going to come so they rode right by where he was until he screamed and screamed and got them to stop and he had the steer you know smoke coming out of his ears as he got on that shuttle and <laughs> i just remember thinking man um the guy who is on this who had his who just ran he just had his personal experience with mike ditka he's gonna have some stories to tell this thanksgiving wherever he is because it was just like <laughs> man like I did not want to be that rental car shuttle driver that, that day. The next one is from John in Ridgeland, Mississippi. 
I had just moved from Mississippi to Nebraska. I am a Husker alum. So I took in a Southern Miss game in 2008 with a buddy. I wore a Southern Miss t-shirt with Nebraska hat. I know faux, social faux, faux pas. Walking around the tailgate area, the old, an older tall gentleman dressed in jeans t-shirt sitting at a tailgate of his pickup truck says to me, you lost? Pointing at my mismatched shirt and hat. I exchanged my low. I, ugh, I explained my loyalties and mentioned this was my first Southern Miss game. He welcomed me and my family and offered us beer and food from his small tailgate crowd. We ate, chatted with his tailgate party, and he started talking about kicking camps. My buddy noticed I started to have this weird look on my face. Who the hell is talking about punting? And whispered in my ear, you know who that is, right? I said, no. I said, that's Ray Guy. Wow. Ray Guy is probably the greatest punter who's ever lived. Well, they literally named the award after him, right? For the best punter. So that's a good um, story. And yeah, that is a really good story. Um, I would you recognize Ray Guy? I would just because of the award show. I wouldn't normally, but like, yeah, yeah but I would definitely because of the award show recognize him now. Okay. Um, this next one's really cool from Rick Pieros in San Luis Obispo. Hi, Bruce and Stu. I thoroughly enjoyed the stories of being awestruck meeting a childhood idol. Here's mine. As a prospective graduate student, I was invited to the first annual annual Wallace Stegner Center Symposium for Environmental Law at the University of Utah. That is a mouthful. The keynote speaker was a famous celebrity known to champion environmental causes. All right, I skipped ahead. He went to the bathroom. As I stood there relieving myself, someone walked in. It's a small hotel bathroom, only two urinals. The next thing I hear is the Sundance kid saying, How's the crowd? Are they getting restless? Nah, I say, trying to act cool. They're all right. Nervous, I quickly finished up. I washed my hands and hustled out of there. Next, I hear, wait up. Robert Redford jogs up. We walk back into the ballroom together. Everyone applauds. We both raise our hands in a slight wave, and all I can think of is the last scene of Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid where Butch and Sundance charge out guns blazing. Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. That's, that's, I mean, no offense to Ray Guy, but Robert Redford would probably... Robert Redford in a year would probably throw me off much more than talking punning with Ray Guy. All right. As always, send your question to the audible pod at gmail.com and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.